0: brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of intense longing we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul did, again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we are destined for them in fact when we were with you we kept telling you that we would be persecuted and it turned out that way as you well know for this reason when i could stand it no longer i sent to find out about your faith i was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain but timothy has just now come from us Come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love he has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you therefore brothers and sisters in all our distresses and persecution we were encouraged about you because of your faith for now we really live since you are standing firm in the lord how can we thank god enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our god because of you night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith now may our god and father himself and our lord jesus christ clear the way for us to come to you may the lord make your love increase and overflow for every other for for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our god and father when the lord jesus christ comes with all his holy ones so if you're if you're in
1: a big company nowadays you might have heard of something called the myers-brigg uh test myers Break um type indicator it's called it's four letters which is supposed to describe your personality you might have done this test to um so you're for self-awareness to understand uh, how you behave and how you think and how to manage the team dynamics um it was uh it was uh myers and briggs that is that's a mother and a daughter who did some research into personalities in 1920 and uh, originally wrote a book to uh, help women choose uh what what work to do during world war ii going into industry uh, where the the men weren't there so the women were needed so this would help them choose what was suitable for them but now it's being used um in companies uh, quite widely very popular It was used in south korea apparently um, during covid for people to choose a compatible partner because um, they weren't getting out i guess you can look on the internet and find uh, people have done their analysis and they've assigned a personality type to all these characters in history. And you can go and look um, and see which historical characters uh, have the same personality type as yourself. So I match with Lenin and Yoda. (laughs) Yoda is not strictly a historical character, but it was a long time ago, so I think it counts. and so you can look and see what the Apostle Paul has as his Myers Briggs personality type. Apparently it's ESTJ or maybe ENTJ for those who know what Myers Briggs is. Depends on how you um, balance his strategic vision with his analytical mind. So people have looked in to understand what the Apostle Paul was like. What was his character like? What we've got in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapters 2 and 3 is really something of the Apostle Paul's heart poured out before us on the page. It's not a uh, dense theological argument, as we get in some, some books of the Bible, as perhaps he's going into later on as he goes into that searching application. It's not really that either. It's not narrative. We have something of the story behind this in Acts chapter 17, as we've heard about, as uh, as we read about when Paul went to Thessalonica and uh, established the church there. But what we have here is Paul, in a letter, pouring out his heart to this church. And it's good for us to study this, because as Paul says in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says to the Thessalonians, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And in 2 Thessalonians, he he speaks about uh, working to earn a living himself in order to offer ourselves, he says, as a model for you to imitate. He's putting himself forward as someone to copy, because he himself is imitating the Lord. So our job tonight is to see the Apostle Paul, see his heart on display, get underneath that and understand it and what it means for us. So given it's not a a kind of theological argument, logically going from one step to the other, we're not going to look at it verse by verse. We've got two points tonight to cover. The first point is quite long, and that's to comfort you, that the second point isn't going to be as long. And we're going we're to pick out where we see these uh, two key points as Paul describes how he feels about the Thessalonians and how he uh, wants to act for them. We're going to start by looking at Paul's joy. The language throughout this passage is very strong. All the Greek that he uses, he's straining to express what he feels. What is our hope and our joy, the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when He comes? Is it not you? He says to the church. Indeed, you are our glory and joy. When the NIV has uh, when he, it says uh, we were orphaned by being separated from you, that's a literal translation of that word, orphaned. He's switching the image, isn't he? If you remember last time we were looking at Thessalonians, he described himself as a nursing mother towards a church, and as an encouraging father. He starts here by referring to them as brothers and sisters, and now he's saying he feels like an orphaned child. It's the language of family. And Paul, being separated from them, feels as though he's bereaved. He's adrift. If you read back, in Acts 17, you can see it wasn't a planned departure. There was no chance for long goodbyes. He was he was uh, shuffled out in the middle of the night, away from this this city that was in uproar, because a mob had been uh, set to to hunt him out, as it were. So they were ushered out of Thessalonica by the brothers, by the church. And Paul is still feeling the loss to be separated from them. He's tried to see them again. And again, with intense longing. And it's not just that he kind of clicked, that he just kind of got on with this group of people. There's more to it than that. Paul speaks to the other churches like this in some of the other letters. In Philippians, he says, My brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. He speaks about boasting of the Corinthians in the day of the Lord Jesus, as he does here. He calls the Galatians even his little children, as does the Apostle John. As John writes to the churches, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. There's this bond in the church, this intense love and longing. and Paul explains the reason for his love in verses 19 to 20. What is our hope? Our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes, is it not you? At the coming of Christ, come the last day, as Paul bows before the triumphant Son of God, the Thessalonian church is his hope, his joy, his glory, his boasting. His boasting because, in fact, for those of you who have got the ESV, I've forgotten it's not in the NIV, but in the ESV, he calls the church literally his crown of boasting. In the NIV, it's, it's the, uh, the crown in which we will glory. Paul is boasting of the Thessalonians, or planning to, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we look at these words and we think, shouldn't his attention rather be on Christ himself, rather than this group of people in Thessalonica? Here's some homework for you. I won't go through it because there's quite a few occasions in the New Testament, but you can, you've, um, I'm sure you've all got the Bible on your phone. If you've got the Bible on your phone, then you've got a concordance, and you can do some study. And you can look at all the times when Paul says boasting is not good. Where then is boasting, he says in Romans? It is excluded. Boasting is excluded because salvation is by faith not by law. And then, having found all the times when Paul says boasting is excluded, and there are a number, find all the times when Paul says boasting is okay, or when he describes himself boasting. In Romans 15, Therefore I glory, I boast, he says. I boast in Christ Jesus in my service to God. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God. So as you put all these things together, you will see that when Paul says boasting is bad, it is boasting what you yourself have done. When Paul gives an example of good boasting, he is boasting in Christ what christ is doing or what christ is doing through his ministry his glorying which is not a bad translation he's glorying in something which is right and good to glory in paul will glory he will boast in what christ accomplishes through him specifically as christ is building his church and he sees that in the thessalonians And you can see that this is Paul's focus as he goes on. He is anxious for the Thessalonians. He could stand it no longer. He had to send Timothy to go and find out how they were. But you see what his interest was in. He says they were destined, this unchangeable divine appointment, destined for affliction and for persecution. Affliction is no accident, and it's an integral part of the Christian life. But that's not what Paul wanted to find out about. He was assuming they were going to have difficulties and troubles. Now, he sends Timothy, in verse 2, to strengthen and encourage them in faith. And in verse 5, when he couldn't bear not knowing, he said he sent him to find out about their faith. Timothy comes back in verse 6, literally, he says, with the gospel, that's the word he uses, the gospel of their faith and love. That's how it came to Paul, to know that Thessalonians were living with faith and love toward one another. So in verse 7, he says, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. He's praying daily in verse 10 to see them so that he might supply what is lacking in their faith. And in verses 12 and 13, he's praying that they increase and abound in love with hearts blameless in holiness. It's not hard to see where his attention is focused. For now we really live, he says, since you are standing firm in the Lord. That's what is interested his liveliness his energy his oomph for now we really live what gets you up in the morning for me it's an alarm clock it's a cup of coffee and that um that looming sense of inevitable submission to the schedule of the day that's before me i'm not a morning person and something has to get me out of bed and for paul it is the church standing firm in the lord Paul's situation was not a good one. He says, in our distress and in our persecution, that's what he's suffering at the time that he's writing this. As he's anxious about the Thessalonians, he's got his own troubles. He speaks about Satan blocking him, hindering him from doing what he wants to do and going to see them again. And so you can feel that relief gushing out of the pages as he says, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? So let's dwell on this for a little bit. How does this joy, this glory, this hope, this boasting in the Thessalonians sit with the joy and the hope and the boasting in the Lord? The church is often described, isn't it, as, as work in progress. We're often told and, uh, and that, that we're, we're not finished yet. And sometimes it's not pretty. Church has been described as a building site. I don't know if you noticed in the news, there was a, uh, some, a block of flats in Greenwich that was built um, fairly recently. People have moved in to live there, but um, they've been told to tear it down again because it doesn't match the plans. There are enough differences. I mean, one looks like a fairly generic tower block, and the other one looks like a fairly generic tower block, but they're different. And so they have to tear it down because it was different from what was planned. It's not going to be the case for the church. When God's work is done, we're told he called you to this, through the gospel that you might share in, obtain, acquire the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's in two Thessalonians. The church obtains, acquires, shares in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is glorious. It is an astounding thing that God is doing. I'm not a great gardener but I do have a garden. <clears throat> and I was strimming one day with my strimmer around some <laughs> borders and the grass was uh, densely overgrown. And um, I saw a stick sticking out of the ground and I just carried on strimming. And I think I just tore off all the leaves. That's not the actual stick, that's still got some leaves. But when I had finished, it was literally just a stick sticking out of the ground. And Laura said, what's happened to the rose that I planted uh, just the other week? And it, there were apparently some leaves on it before I started, but not not when I finished, and I didn't recognize it. And the important thing to, to know is it was just a stick pointing out of the ground with a couple of leaves on it, but it was a rose. It wasn't that it was going to become a rose and grow into a rose. It had everything within it needed to produce the flowers and so on. It was a rose plant, but I didn't recognize it because it didn't look as I might have expected. The church is God's temple now, God's spirit dwelling within us. It's a wonderful thing, almost incredible. But then you look forward to that day that Paul speaks of at the end of chapter 2. And you see that picture in Revelation as the, as the city comes down out of heaven. That city is picturing the church built out of gems and, and glass and transparent gold shining with the glory of God. That is the picture of what God is going to do with the church, with, with you and I, with us, what he is making. Dear friends, John writes, now we are the children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The church is something to glory in, to be joyful about, because finding our joy in the church, especially so in that last day, is finding our joy in the reflected glory of jesus christ what he is making as he as he stamps his image upon us and even though it's not always as visible as perhaps it ought to be we can still rejoice in the workmanship of god as he is transforming forming us from one degree of glory into another he is about the building of his church the wonder of the new creation taking the roughest of raw materials and making something wonderful that reflects God. What you see in Paul's joy and boasting is the wonder of being involved in such a work. Yes, Paul does love the congregation, but with a love that is jealous for the glory of God in them, and delights to be used to that end. Paul says to the church in Colossae, in chapter one he says he jesus has now reconciled the church in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him jesus died for us to wash away our sin taking the punishment that we deserved he took on himself And we are then clothed in his righteousness before the judgment seat of God. And now now the Spirit of God is working. And having reconciled, Jesus is aiming to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before God. And then Paul adds at the end of, of the chapter in Colossians, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ, Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all the energy that he powerfully works within me. That for which Christ died, Paul is working. And so the joy we see in Paul, we see first in Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I think his joy and satisfaction is described in isaiah chapter 62 we read you speaking of god's people will be a crown of splendor in the lord's hand a royal diadem in the hand of your god you've got any idea of how much god loves the church you don't have to read far do you, you can see his son on the cross and what he has done in order to prepare a bride for his son. <clears throat> Last year, on the day that the, um, the death of Queen Elizabeth was announced, fairly late in the day, Laura said she wanted to go to London. So sometimes you realize you need to say yes, and so I said, yes, okay, let's go. I'd never been... <laughs> I'd never gone to such an event like that before, such a kind of gathering, but uh, we found out the train times and we went off. And we went to London on the day following the the announcement. And we weren't the only ones. There was a large crowd and it was getting denser and denser as we approached the palace. Obviously, you go to the palace and you leave a flower and so on. And. And we were walking from the tube station towards the palace. And uh, as we were walking slowly, you could see queues and and police directing the way. And as we got close to the palace, the crowds got denser and denser. And we started having to work our way through the crowds as people were coming and going, those who had already been and those of us who were still going. We got about 20 meters away from the palace gates, I'd say, a guess. But we could go no further because there were just so many people gathered around it. It was just like a solid wall of people. You just stuck there. You couldn't do anything, just stood there. It was just this mass gathering of people around the palace. At one point, we see some police motorcyclists drive past, followed by a black car with the royal flag stuck on its roof. It was the king first time the king was going to come to the palace it was we were there it was that historic moment <clears throat> and he drove off and then then you started to hear little murmurs to say that the king and camilla were actually starting to uh, engage with the crowd and see the, the well wishes and everything i couldn't see a thing i was just surrounded by people but i had john on my shoulders because it was far too crowded for him. And so I thought, John's probably got a a much better view. He might be able to see above the crowd and see the king. I actually handed him a phone. I said, John, point it over there. There's the king over there. Take a photo. Let us see what's happening. So this is the photo he took. why would a six-year-old boy have any interest (laughs) in that historic moment so we were there and that is the proof that i have (laughs) i don't know if i don't know if you've ever thought back to perhaps a moment in in biblical history or perhaps in church history but what would it have been like to be there perhaps on mount carmel as elijah was praying down the fire onto the, the sacrifice. That's a dramatic moment to be in. Depending on what you think about creation, perhaps you would love to be there as God speaks things into being. What about being around at the new creation? It's where we are. This is what God is doing now. This, this extended, yes, but this, this is what history is for as god builds his church as jesus saves people as the spirit spreads the gospel throughout the world what a time to live what a thing to be doing and half the time we're taking selfies or doing something that's completely inconsequential what a thing to be working for How poorly we focus sometimes on those things that matter. Paul knows the glory of the church and he rejoices in it. He also knows how the church grows. It's not a small thing for Paul to send Timothy. He felt absolutely destitute as a result. There's more strong language as he describes sending Timothy out at the beginning of chapter 3. He clearly trusts Timothy. He's a good man that Paul is now without. And he speaks about being left alone. Paul's prayer shows us that he knows God's in control. Thessalonians are doing all right, it seems. So why does he send Timothy? Why does he still want to go again and again? Because God uses people. Think back to a formative time in your Christian life and there's going to be a person or a friend or a group of people involved in that that growth in your Christian uh, faith because God uses people. So step back and let's see what's being modeled here in these verses. The Thessalonians are being prayed for, they're being prioritized by Paul in sending Timothy. Timothy is being used to establish and encourage them in faith. Paul is feeling, feeling orphaned as he's left the Thessalonians. He's feeling deserted as he sent Timothy, but he feels alive knowing that they preserve, persevere in faith. And you see what's going on, that the church of Christ is thoroughly interdependent by design. You think of the images of the church in the Bible. It's the body. One part of the body hurts and the whole body suffers. It's a temple. One brick is dislodged and the whole building is compromised. One, uh, it's a family. It's a, a brother and sister is honored and the whole family rejoices. They're pictures of connectedness. It is God's design that the church Is this interwoven we're not meant to go it alone which means you can't but it also means you don't have to you read Ephesians chapter 4 from which this is from so Christ himself gave the Apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is christ from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work from him the whole body grows from christ and builds itself up in love. What Paul is describing in Ephesians, he is working out in Thessalonians as he sends Timothy, as he prays for them, as he wants to be there, as they are affecting his ministry. He's sending a shepherd to build faith that the church would build itself up in love and not be tossed to and fro. So you see what it means for the Thessalonians on the front line persevering against all the challenges and struggles they're facing, not moved by their afflictions. You see what it means for the Apostle Paul, on the front line, in distress and affliction, but spurred on, he really lives, because he knows the Thessalonians are standing firm in the Lord. Think about what it means for John Bacula to know that there is a church, there are churches behind him those at Phillip Street, for Mike and Joe, and the things they've gone through to know that there is a church praying for them. Take a look around the room. What support you have in whatever front line you're on, you're part of the church of Christ. When it's a struggle, and we know we're destined for that, you know you've got the church through which Christ works, because it's Christ who sent the shepherds and the teachers to equip and help you. So how do you survive in the family, in the workplace, in your street, amongst unbelieving friends? How do you cope when it gets difficult? You've got the church. You're not meant to go it alone, and you don't have to knowing someone is rejoicing over your faith and the fact that you're standing fast, knowing someone's praying for you, knowing someone's looking for opportunities to serve you, and knowing that sometimes you get to be someone else's someone. You get to serve and support someone else. It really is a glorious thing that God is doing. What an opportunity we have as as Phillips Street Chapel in Headley Park. What a blessing these evenings are, as we, we, can, we can gather together, support one another, pray together, worship together, and seek to, to go out to our respective communities and, and worship God there as we, we share the gospel, knowing the support that we have, that what God has given us in one another, modelled, by Paul and the Thessalonians and Timothy and, and all the others so let's thank God for the church this glorious thing that he is doing this one thing and there's plenty of things you can be doing in your life that are good and God honoring we all need to go to work uh, I need to go to work in the morning and um, I can remember an occasion at work where a guy was looking at a book flipping over the pages it was a book of uh, aircraft projects that were um, that never flew or perhaps didn't enter production failed aircraft projects and there was a retired guy and he, he came and he looked over the shoulder of this guy as he flicked through the book he wasn't retired so he, he he is now he was an older guy who'd been in the industry for a little while and he was looking at all these projects and he said yeah i've worked on that one i worked on that one i worked on that one i worked on that one, on that one. all these aircraft projects there were good things to study, nothing wrong in them, but they never saw the, the light of day. I've worked on aircraft projects that did see the light of day. And then one day they'll be out of production and they won't be flown anymore and it'll go. Church goes on for eternity. This is God's work and it is eternal, bringing people in to hear the gospel and be changed for the glory of God, so that we see Christ's glory reflected back to him. What a thing to be working for and to be evolved with together as the body of Christ. Holy Father, we ask that you would help us to see one another as you see us to love one another as you love us to know what it is that you are working in the church we thank you that you would call us in to your family and that you would set us to work for your glory that all that Christ achieved on the cross that you could bring that about through the work of the church through our endeavors lord would you bless us we are sorry for when we make mistakes but we thank you that you call us in anyway and you delight to have us serve you so would you bless us as we as we love one another and glorify you in the church in jesus name amen